This is the Leverage Advantage, sharing expert lessons on marketing, strategy, and teams to scale your business with your host, Fazil Musa. Hey guys, welcome back to the Leverage Advantage show. And today we're very humbled, very honored, and very grateful to have Joe Sanok with us. Joe is a speaker, a mental health counselor, business consultant, and a podcaster. He's got the number one podcast for counselors, the practice of the practice podcast. He's had interviews with Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, and Lewis House. Joe is a rising star. And you know what? In fact, recently, just about last week, Joe was a TED ex-speaker. Uh, he writes for Psych Central. He's been featured on the Huffington Post, Forbes, Good Magazine, Reader's Digest, Entrepreneur on Fire, and Yahoo News. He's a keynote speaker, author of five books, and he's a top consultant. Welcome to the show, Joe. Brazil, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. It's my pleasure, man. You know, when, when we booked um, the podcast, I was so excited um, to have you on because today I think we're going to talk a lot about the unseen side of, of entrepreneurship, you know, the Leverage Advantage podcast, uh, we're really here. We, what we want to do is we want to show people how entrepreneurs become successful. And oftentimes you see the hustle, you see the glamorous part of entrepreneurship, you know, the, the cars, the, the revenue, the awards, but a lot of people don't see the, the mental side of it, this, the psychological side of it. Um, and, and I understand that's what uh, you do. Share, share with us a little bit about uh, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, most of what I do is I help healthcare professionals that have private practices, private practices that are mostly self-pay, and so they're not insurance-based practices to start, grow, and scale their private practices. Um, but I'd say more of what I do is I really help individuals get their lives back. And so oftentimes what happens is you start a private practice, you put in that hustle to your business, it's growing, you're working 60 hours a week. Uh, at the beginning, you want to mitigate risk, and then it kind of gets out of control. Uh, you're maybe not spending evenings with your family. You're not going out with your friends as much. You're always thinking about business. You know, you're even mowing the lawn and you're thinking, oh, I could do this and this. It's exciting, but also we, we lose focus oftentimes as we find more success. And so the people that are most effective are those that can scale their business and really pull themselves out of it so that they can buy that lifestyle back. Uh, and to do that in a way that really helps you innovate and grow differently is what differentiates most people from those that just give themselves a job. Awesome. And, and how did you get into that? Like, what, what was the experience you had to go through in order for you to, to come to this realization or come to this point where you gained the expertise in helping specifically doctors regain their life? Yeah. So for me, it started taking a very traditional path of getting higher education and starting a counseling private practice. I was working full time for a foster care agency and then a community college and really just had this thing on the side. And as it grew, I realized we didn't know really anything about business. And so I just started blogging about it, started podcasting about it. And what I started to notice was that as more and more people got successful, uh, it just was harder and harder for them to do the things that they wanted to do with their lives. Uh, and for me personally, it really kind of hit the fan in 2012. I was just launching the podcast and the website, Practice of the Practice. And that year, I, my daughter was almost one and she had open heart surgery. And uh, my wife and I went through that whole process of her having a medical condition. And then things improved for her. The doctors said that you know, everything was fine. She was healthy. And then two weeks later after that, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so what we thought was the end of a chapter, we jumped right back into the medical institution. And that year, 
one of our friends had breast cancer and my wife had a miscarriage. And it was just one of those years that we all probably will have at some point that you feel like you're just holding on. But what I had to do during that time was to really ask myself, why am I working on a podcast when my daughter's about to have heart surgery? Or why am I working on this blog post as I'm going through cancer treatment? Why am I not just spending time with my family? And so I really had to evaluate very clear boundaries on my life. And what happened was that continued after all of this, this health crisis kind of passed, where I still ask myself, is this the very best use of my time? And each year I try to set deeper and deeper boundaries around my personal time so that now I'm at the point that I work three days a week, but we continue to double our income uh, as a company almost every single year for the past five years. And so what's interesting is that some of the, the top leaders of our world knew that slowing down was one of the biggest keys to innovation. And I can talk more about some of the research behind that. Um, but as I've kind of naturally moved towards slowing down, it's amazing to see how the innovation grows exponentially. I love it. I think one of the, one of the things you said, um, you know, the more successful you get, you find that the more busy you are. And that's the, that's the prime indicator that you're actually under an illusion. A lot of people think they're business owners when they're actually self-employed. Because, you know, one of the key indicators of you being self-employed is the more successful you are, the more busy you, have, you are, the, less time, the more time poor you become. And if, if you're a good business owner, what happens is the more successful you are, um, either you're working the same amount of, of hours, you're, you know, you get a lot of leverage from the systems that, that you've built. Um, and that's really what I love about, about what I loved about your story is that you, you have the, that priorities Like you came to a point where, where things that were far more important to you than say having a successful business, you know, things like your health, things like your wife's health, things like spending time with your children, um, made you realize that you needed to gain that leverage, and that's what I love about so much about that story. How did you, how did you overcome that that inertia? How did you extract yourself from being a business operator to being a business owner as as a doctor? Yeah, I think that as uh, as a counselor in private practice, it's easy to just get sucked into the I'm in the chair. And then I get paid every time I'm in the chair. So if I'm sick or my daughter's sick or I have to go to a meeting, I'm not getting paid. Uh, and so the biggest shift for people when they're going from the start to the growth to the scaling is the things that usually get to you to $100,000, which for a lot of people is just that kind of like mental, if I can get to 100 grand a year, like I've made it. Um, the things that get you there is putting on lots of hats, keeping your risk low, uh, working really hard, but the things that get you past that 100,000 is the exact opposite. It's taking those hats off. It's saying, why am I doing this? Uh, really looking at, in a brutal way, how do I take things off my plate? So the big ways that we do that is through outsourcing through people or outsourcing through technology. And so uh, I started to realize that I needed to, for my counseling practice, I needed to have other people that were there. And so I brought in additional counselors. So it wasn't Joe centric anymore. It was now mental wellness counseling centric. So people would call, I'd have someone answer the phone, not myself. I'm not doing the scheduling. So that really I could take a month off and the income would continue coming in. And so that's really the biggest indicator of when you're ready to get to that scaling phase. When you found that leverage is if you had to leave for a month for a vacation, for a family emergency, for whatever reason, would you continue to make money? Or are there so many things that you're in charge of that really your business would fall apart? So then, you know, I had to look at what are other things that I'm doing. So my podcast, for example, I loved doing the art, the show notes, really creating infographics, all these things. But 
to spend four hours per episode, that was slowing down my progress. I needed to be creating content. I needed to be creating the things that only I could do, Facebook Lives, connecting with my community, those personal touches. And even though I loved the artistic side of it, I needed to find someone that could replace me there. So that, that moving from growth to, to scale really is about how do you find replacements for yourself in every area? And then those people oftentimes have even better skills than you had. And so they're able to then multiply. So really effective giants of the field, they're multiplying their time. So if they're in counseling, they may be charging 150 or $200 an hour. Well, you could buy 20 hours of time at $10 an hour for someone to be doing design on an ongoing basis for you. So to be able to then start to look at how do you get that leverage outside of your own time and your own abilities, right, that's really kind of the, the way that you need to start thinking when you're looking to scale. I love it, man. I love it. Like um, when, see, my business partner and I, we, we had a six-figure business ourselves, but we were doing everything just like what you said. And the values that got us to 100,000 um, as two business operators are completely different from the values that are going to get us to a million, you know? And for example, the, the biggest thing that you said as you know, to get to a hundred thousand dollars is not difficult. You just do everything yourself. You keep all the money, right? But if you want to grow beyond a hundred thousand dollars, you need to think about who can you pass on some of these hats to, um, that where, where it would cost, where the cost of them doing it is a lot less than the cost of you doing it. Because you as, as, as the founder, you as the, the, the person with that technical expertise are far more valuable doing other things. So that's, that's really, really what I love. And then move, and, and I think the, the part where a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck in that transition is really finding it within themselves, making that transition from thinking they're the best in their company and doing everything to now they have to trust somebody else to do it as well as or perhaps even better than them or i think the the real difficult part is also to accept that if you want to grow you're going to need to find somebody who comes in that may not necessarily do it as well as you but the cost of you doing it yourself is far more expensive even if you do it better Fazil, that's such a great point. Uh, I think that what happens is people aren't optimizing their brains. When they're that busy, the ability to innovate just disappears. And so, for example, University of Illinois had a study that they did where they looked at this common held belief called vigilance decrement, with your brain vigilance, meaning how well you can pay attention, decrement, meaning going down over time. So that when you're at a task over time, your ability to pay attention to it goes down. And so what they did is they had two different groups. In one group, what they did is they sat them down in front of a computer. They gave them a random four-digit number, say it was 5178. And every time, then they would have random four-digit numbers come up. And for 50 minutes, these people, when their four-digit number came up, they had to hit this little buzzer. So it's a super boring task. So what they found was there was decrement in their vigilance over that 50-minute period. So they stopped paying attention to their four-digit number. So then they had a second group and a third of the way through, exact same study, except a third of the way through, they gave them a micro break. They gave them a one minute break where they said, you know, we put you on the wrong computer. Let's just, we got to get you on a different computer. Go have a seat in the lobby, read a magazine. Or they'd say, you know, this is a tough task. Just stand up for a minute, like shake it out. Uh, and then they did that again at the two thirds mark, where it's a one minute micro break. And they found that there was no decrement in their vigilance, that they paid attention as well at the end as they did at the beginning. And so what we see is when people feel like they're hustling, when they're running full tilt, they're actually not using their brains in the way that it's going to actually let them get more done. 
And so it's counterintuitive to think that slowing down, taking these breaks, taking these breathers is going to help you. But when we're stuck, we really need to look at what the experts have done. So people like Steve Jobs, when he had a big meeting for Apple, he would have a walking meeting because he knew that people, their blood pressure would go down, more oxygen goes to your brain when you're walking, when you're out in nature, taking deeper breaths. Uh, he knew these things so that people would have a better meeting, they'd be more creative, they'd have more innovation. So people like Winston Churchill, Winston Churchill had a non-negotiable afternoon nap. Every single day he knew, I need a nap. Uh, and Timothy Ferris in his new book, Tribe Mentors, he evaluated hundreds of different leaders across sectors and the daily thing that most of them do is meditate. Uh, that that's what to them keeps them grounded, keeps them innovative. But we don't think about it. When we think of top leaders and CEOs, we don't think of going for a walk or taking a nap or meditating, but we should. That should be the first thing that we think is going to be that thing that turns us into these innovators. I, lo I love it. But, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes it just feels so good. To, the hustle feels so good for a lot, of, uh, a lot of these founders, a lot of these mentors, I mean, a lot of these entrepreneurs that, you know, and, and, and it's very easy to get into that trap when things, when things are not happening, when, um, you know, everything is still, it becomes very easy to fall into that trap that I need to do more, I need to do more, I need to do more. When perhaps, like you mentioned, um, it would be far more productive to just be still, let it steep, let it, let it percolate, and then and allow things to, to blossom, knowing that you've already done the, the best that you can. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong, I think that having sprints is a good idea, but when it becomes the lifestyle that's where I think there's a problem. And so to really say, well, where do I want to be in a year? I want my podcast to hit 100,000 downloads, or I want to have my business hit you know, this many people on my email list, or I want to sell X number of dollars. That's great. It's good to have those goals. And let's work backward to say, how do we get there? But to also have time that you decompress, that you know when you're turning it off. So for example, I know that you know, every weekend, you know, I have a four-day weekend, on Fridays, I do a little bit of email for about an hour. But after noon on Fridays, after I pick up my daughter from pizza lunch at her school, she's three years old, um, I know that it's daddy time. And I know that we're going to have friends over, we're going to have a barbecue, we're going to do fun things over the weekend. And I'm not going to even check my email until Monday. Now, for me to do that, it's not just being lazy. I have to have systems in place so things don't fall apart. So I have to have automated emails. I have someone that has access to my email in case there's some sort of emergency that comes up. Um, my personal uh, clients for counseling, they have to know how to get a hold of me. So they go through Emily to reach me. She can always text me. I need to have other people and systems and technology so that I can decompress and things keep moving forward without me having to be involved with it. Awesome. And what are some of the most effective ways for entrepreneurs to, to start getting that consciousness and then actually actionable steps towards decompressing and, 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 allowing themselves to be still yeah so i would start with just a four-step process it spells out rise r-i-s-e so the first one is to recognize what's happening now we just want a baseline so where where are there gaps where are there opportunities start just capturing what you're doing so for a typical private practice owner that's you know in that growth phase they might still be answering the phone doing the scheduling how do you talk like you? You know, if you're going to answer the phone and you want to outsource that to someone, people don't just know how to speak about your practice in the same way. And so what in your business that could be responding like you. So in any business, typically, you know, you have some way that you communicate with your ideal customer. And so that could be via Facebook, that could be, you know, via uh, email, via Twitter, however it is that you communicate, recognize where you're at. And then next we want to look at how do we increase that uh, and look at a bigger scope. 
And so when we're looking at that bigger scope, we want to dream towards something that is going to provide more opportunity, more ideas, more impact on the world. Because if we just say, I want to stop emailing as much, well, that's not super compelling to people. But if we say, I want to stop emailing as much so that I can go stand up paddleboarding with my wife every Friday and not feel guilty about missing emails, well, that then becomes really compelling. So that's increase. Third, we have support. And so that's where we want to really look at what do we take off our plate. So say a lot of your customers are coming through Facebook Messenger. You might want to sign up for something like ManyBot. That's M-A-N-Y-B-O-T, which I use through our Facebook page. It's free to use. It sets up these automatic responses so that when you're not there, you can still lead your ideal client down a path and into a funnel for either an email list or different things that they may want to purchase through that Facebook Messenger. So you want to find technologies or people that can support that. And then last, we want to expand. And that's where we really move into replacing you. Uh, we really want to look at how do we take that off of your plate and keep moving towards that goal. And then when we go through that process, it's easier and easier to set up very clear boundaries. Um, the quote, I don't remember who said it, but when you say no to one thing, you say yes to something else. When you say no to working on Friday or a Saturday, you say yes to a better health. You say yes to more innovation. You say yes to time with your family. So setting those clear boundaries as you go through that process is really important. I love it. I love that it's actionable. I love it. That I love that uh, that the listeners, that the audience are able to to put that into practice uh, and actually get a result as quickly as possible. What is one big? Uh, what is the one piece of advice you would give entrepreneurs if you were lying on your deathbed, you had thirty seconds left to live? Yeah, I think the big thing is make sure the work you do matters to you. Uh, you know, there's lots of ways to make money. Uh, there's, there's lots of ways to make money. And if you can't find why it matters, uh, you need to evaluate what you're doing. So for example, for me, I know I'm helping private practitioners expand what they're doing so that more people can receive primarily mental health services. That's really important. Our world needs healthier people. And so I'm helping clinicians be healthier and I'm helping their, their individual communities be healthier. To me, that's very meaningful work and it's very inspiring work. For the listeners, they may have many other things that they want to work on to make money, but go back to, to what really helps improve the world for you. Awesome. I've got, I've got only two more questions for you. The uh, second last question is this, is how would you like to be remembered yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I want to be an awesome dad and an awesome husband uh, because my daughters are amazing and they're creative little girls that are going to do things to help the world. So uh, first and foremost, that way. But I think that uh, being curious and being an innovator, uh, everything I do, it, it comes out of a sense of wanting to discover more of the world and to innovate to help other people do the same. Awesome. And my final question for you is this, if people want to find out more about what you do, where can they go? Where can they find out more about you? How can they get in touch? Yeah. Uh, the best place to find us is on the website, practiceofthepractice.com. Feel free to listen to the podcast. Just search practice of the practice within whatever podcast app you use. If you're starting a practice, you can go to practiceofthepractice.com forward slash start. And then we have a whole lot of different things that, that we can help you with uh, over at the website, no matter what stage of practice you're in or stage of business. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. Um, it was, and it was a, a pleasure. Uh, you're one of the, one of the few people that I, I have met that has been able to put those two things together to get great at, 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 at these two things for any business to be successful. You need to have that technical expertise and you have to have that business expertise. And you started off with that technical expertise, being a great counselor, being, um, 
and then you realize that in order for your your life to grow in order for your business to grow you need it to get that to to have that business expertise most people are just great at one of those and then find somebody else to do to do the other bit um i love that you're great at both i'm very sure that the audience got so much value from from today's session thank you so much again very humble very honored very grateful that you chose to invest your time with us Fazil, this has been great. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. You've been listening to The Leverage Advantage. If you're wanting to take yourself out of your business so that you can do more of what you love, head on over to theleverageadvantage.com to find out how you can use our leverage system to build a fully automated marketing machine for your business. Mm-hmm.